It reminds me of that that scene with um, uh, J.K. Simmons uh, and George Clooney in Up in the Air when, when he's like, how much do they pay you to give up on your dreams? To Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Algott, and you are so enthusiastic, man. Look at what a week it's, off does. It's I'm a- excited. A week <laughs> off, and also, it, it, you know, it's the kind of episode where it's like, this is why we do this podcast. This is, it's for them. It's for the people. Absolutely. This is a listener question and answer, listener appreciation episode, and in this episode, we get to dig into the ever-awesome Inside Acting Mailbag and respond to four or five of the most recent questions, comments, and stories sent in by the community, by you guys. And we're covering everything from trusting your gut to treating acting like a sales job to avoiding scams to finding a good theater group and quitting the post office to lay in the mud. Oh yes, we have that story. It's a good episode. Stay with us. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from, of course, VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstages, Backstages, wow, I need these classes, Trevor, Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2GoGo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO, the number two, GoGo.com slash start. What up, AJ? What up, Trevor? It is good to be back. That week off, man, is oh, it's crucial. I hope everybody got uh, got to, a chance to uh, go back through the archives and listen to Faye Wolf's episodes, like I mentioned in the newsletter last week, because um, she has a book out, and it's awesome, and she's awesome. So I hope that was a nice little uh, sort of episode chunk to tide people over between new episodes. Hmm. I I have been meaning to get her book. Actually, I have not done that yet, and this is uh, this is a, a nice little reminder. So thank thank you thank you, Trevor. Yes, I'm quite excited. Uh, so we've got a lot to cover in this episode. But before we get there, we have uh, a few quick announcements at the top of the show, and then I want to hear real briefly what's new in your world. So uh, let's just kind of kick off with these announcements. So first off, uh, one of my commitments is to communicate the value of my voiceover classes. So that's what I'm doing here. Uh, shameless plug. The next VO to GoGo class I'm teaching in Hollywood is on Sunday, April 24th, and we're going to cover voicing nonfiction audiobooks, voicing children's audiobooks, and recording for ACX. And ACX is the website that connects authors and rights holders with audiobook narrators. It is awesome. It's a goldmine, uh, literally, for narrators and voiceover actors. So we're going to uh, talk about those three things. Uh, recording for ACX with Audacity being the third. And you can find out more about that and sign up for class at vo2gogo.com slash Hollywood. Cool. And we've got some awesome stuff happening over in the membership. Want to keep people abreast of that, uh, those goings-ons. And so uh, Catherine Grant's study, KGS, 
put together a, a download of notes that she got from this voiceover class. I can't remember the exact class itself, but this one focused specifically on video games, which, I mean, how awesome is that? We haven't really uh, talked too much about that. We've had a couple of our interviewer interviewees uh, talk about that, but um, some super cool bullet points on that. And uh, continue discussion about workshops, which I, I can imagine because of what's going on in the industry right now is going to become another hot topic on the podcast because we simply can't uh, ignore it. <laughs> not that we would, but I, I don't. I just don't want our listeners to think that we are not going to address, you know, what's going on. We actually have big plans to address it. But Trevor, did you want to say anything about uh, either, you know, the article in The Hollywood Reporter or, you know, anything about what, you know, we have coming or? uh, Uh, Well, just in the interest of time, uh, if you are listening to this and you're saying, what are they talking about? Uh, We have a link in the show notes for this episode to The Hollywood Reporter article, which is this thing that seems to come around every few years where basically there's a a big sort of hubbub about uh, paid workshops and how they're sort of taking advantage of actors. Uh, And then some people kind of make a rumbling about how it's unfair and they talk about legislation that should be passed and then a few things happen and then it seems to kind of go back to normal for a bit until it happens again. But this is one of those times where there's a big rumble. So check out that article and know that we are going to be devoting quite a bit of time to uh, what's going on right now on upcoming episodes. Yes. Cool. So uh, we've just got a short amount of time here, but I do want to hear what is new in your world because I know you've continued to audition a lot and uh, and and things like that. So so give us give us the thirty second version of uh, of your life for the past two weeks. If you could. Oh uh, yeah, I've only had uh, a couple of auditions. Um, one was for a network television show. Um, <laughs> couple of things about that. The first one was, I don't want to say the name of the show, but it was just kind of funny because uh, it's in its fifth season. So I was auditioning for like the third episode of the fifth season and had never heard of the show. And to me, that was, speaks volumes to, you know, the way that like millennials are consuming their content versus, uh, you know, people who are, of a, you know, a slightly older generation. So it, there are still people people out there that of course, you know, want to go and watch their show at a particular time on a particular night on a particular network. And those shows must still be doing well because they're, they're still on the air. So it's like this show that's five seasons in and, and I had never heard of it. Jasmine never heard of it. A bunch of my coworkers had never heard of it. So that was just kind of an interesting anecdote. Hmm. Um, and then in the room, I, I kind of knew this going in. I, I knew that I was probably too old for the, for the, for the role. But I just wanted to go in and do good work. I'd never been in front of, I'd been into this office before, but never in front of this particular CD. And, uh, you know, she stopped the camera after my, my first and only read and looked me dead in the face and said, you're a great actor. You're really good. I don't know about the age thing. They may go much younger, but I'm going to send them the tape and we'll see what happens. But you're a great actor. Wow. So, some you know, for you. hashtag book the office. <laughs> yeah, man. Congrats. That is always a good thing to hear. Yeah. How about you, man? What did you, you said uh, you were mostly uh, R&R for this, uh, for this week off. 
Yeah, it was nice. You know, I had a couple meetings um, a couple weeks ago. I had uh, a quick little meeting for a Netflix show, and I actually met a listener at the at the um, in the waiting room. So, Kevin, what's up, dude? Great to meet you, dude. <laughs> uh, and then uh, I was on a veil for a commercial for a national spot, man. And yeah! they, they released me. Yeah, I was, no! all, I was all stoked about it. And then they uh, they said uh, thanks, but no thanks. So it's all good, you know, like we talk about on the show all the time, rejection is a myth. Like, I didn't have the role beforehand. I don't have it now. So nothing really changed in my life. And I think the challenge here is just how to handle the sort of, like, uptick in anticipation and then the lack of payoff. But, you know, like I always say, I've got a lot of things going on in my life, and so it's not it's not the big sort of letdown that I think it, it could be. So yeah, it would have been nice to, to book it and get that chunk of change, but I'm also not... Uh, not crying about it or anything. So that's what's going on in my world. It reminds me a bit of in the Michael Kostroff thing of like, you know, statistically you're not getting the job. So let that part go. You almost have to like remind yourself of that every step of the process. Cause yeah. he's talking about it specifically before you walk in the room for that first audition. But the fact of the matter is like, there are so many things that have to happen. There's audition, there's callback, there's, you know, if it's a television show, there's like network testing and all of this stuff. And then you're on a veil and they put a pin in you and all, the, 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 mm-hmm. the, this, all this yeah. stuff. And then, you know, it's like at every, at any point in the process, you're not getting the job. So, let, so let yeah. it go <laughs> at every single point, yeah. unless until you, until you sign your name on a dotted friggin' line and yeah. you are on the set um, and even then, if it's a pilot, you could get fired. Yeah. The guy, the guy who got the guy who got the role that I that I tested for, he he's no. They re-released that role. They re-released the the, the role that I uh, went to the chemistry read for. Oh, wow. So okay. that probably means that that actor no longer has a job, which is a bummer. That sucks. All right. Well, we uh, have a lot to, to respond to and talk about. So let's jump into our first question of the episode, which comes to us from Hannah. Uh, she writes to us from New York City. And the, the gist of her question is she's she's wondering about master classes and master class uh, in this instance, I believe. And Hannah, write in and correct us if we're wrong, uh, is is uh, like a casting director master class, like probably one of these intensives, like these three or four week things, or maybe even just a one night thing. But in her words, she says, I know that a lot of the battle with being in this business is building a relationship with people like casting directors. And there are all these classes that you can take that are taught by these people, casting directors. And I wanted to know if they're worth it. Uh, not only your time, but mostly money. Are they worth the money? Uh, as we know, acting isn't always the most profitable job. And taking all of these classes just to meet people seems like kind of an expensive way to network. And uh, just FYI, we don't use that word on this <laughs> podcast. We like to say build relationships because nobody wants to be networked with. Uh, so this, this cuts to the core of what we're going to be talking about, uh, a lot on upcoming episodes and sort of what's going on recently. But I think that the, the question can best be summed up this way. Is this just a cost of doing business or is this just another way for people to, to make money off of the backs of actors? 
you know, it, it, there's a quote in that THR article where uh, one of the casting director from like uh, TNT or something says, you know, it like literally the quote is it is the cost of doing business. Yeah. Um, and the thing is, is I don't know that there's a good I mean, it's almost like, you know, we're in an election year and it's almost like we could talk ourselves blue in the face <clears throat> about uh, this issue and there's still not going to be like a, a, a right or wrong. There are people on either side of the issue similar to politics, but it's, it's, it's tough. Well, the only thing that we can do is it's say what we've, we've kind of always said, which is make sure you do your research and, you know, sort of do what, what feels right. What are, what are your thoughts based on, cause we've have sort of answered this question in the past. So I'm wondering from you, Trevor, based on what's going on right now in the environment that we're in right now with all with everything going on and with, um, you know, Scott David being let go and the THR article and all this stuff coming out. What are your thoughts on this question in this moment? Well, I think uh, just just to kind of provide food for thought, I don't think this is uh, what I'm about to say doesn't not meant to provide any sort of hard, you know, and fast answers. But I think just food for thought, I think it's, it's worth it to ask what kind of actor do we want to be? I mean, there, there's a couple different ways to go. I mean, there's infinite ways to go about building a career, but in this instance, I'm going to kind of chunk it down to a few. I think number one, you could be, I'm the kind of actor that is a, a hired gun. Um, you know, like Michael Kostroff says, you know, you walk into an audition room and you say, Hey, I heard you're looking for actors. How can I help? Like, this is what I do. I go from place to place. I show off my wares. Let's see if there's a, a way to collaborate here. And that can be your main focus. You can just say, I'm going straight to the top. I'm a film and television actor. And this is what I do. I go around and I just see where, uh, people could use my services. That's great. Uh, or you could go the indie route and say, you know what, I'm going to really just buckle down and focus on indie films, on building relationships with independent film producers, uh, web series producers and directors, writers, people like that. And I'm going to be the hired gun for those people. Or you can say, you know what, screw all that. I'm going to make my own stuff. I am going to funnel my time and money into learning how to write good stories and scripts. I'm going to funnel my time and money into learning how to produce and learning how to build up my own stories and cast myself in that perfect role that I've always wanted to play. So those are three ways to kind of go about it. And of course, there's many shades of gray in between all three of those. And you can do all three, of course. But I think if you really get clear on the kind of career that you want to have, you know, do you want to be a Samuel L. Jackson who... I'm totally generalizing here. I don't know enough about his story, but I I see him as just sort of the guy that always goes and more or less plays some version of Samuel L. Jackson. Or do you want to be the Brit Marling? You know, I've talked about her on the show and I have a massive crush on her because she knows her type and she mostly just does stuff that she's written or co-written or has a hand in producing or directing with the occasional being hired to play, you know, Richard Gere's daughter on, on arbitrage. So there's there's a few different ways to sort of go about it, but I think that's a, a good place to start. It's saying, where do I want to put my money in terms of the vision I have for for my career? Uh, but every step of the way, keeping in mind that it is about relationships. So whomever you're focusing on meeting to work with, because it's always a collaboration. It's never saying, hire me. It's always saying, do our creative ideas mesh, no matter which 
path, but just coming at it and saying, uh, is, is this where I want to put my time and money or do I want to put my time and money over here? That kind of thing. Mm. So you're looking at it sort of big picture, if you will. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think it is important to have that focus. Yeah. I mean, I can't like, like Billy DeMota said in, uh, his interviews from way back when he has yet. And I think many of us do, and I don't know that any actors would admit to this if they, <laughs> if this was the case, but he has yet to hear a story of a like big time successful actor say, Oh yeah, I got my start because I just did a bunch of paid workshops. You know, you don't hear that, and it, it may be true, it may not be true, um, whether that that's ever happened. I mean, it's definitely a great way to build relationships and get in the door and start, uh, you know, getting those those under five lines, those small co-star roles. It's a great way to do that. But is it necessary? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. There are examples all over the place of people who are working all the time without having spent a penny to meet somebody that could hire them. Mm. Yeah. And, and just on, on these in particular, cause I, I do know actors who have done the ones that Hannah is specifically referring to, you know, there is, there is, a, I guess an argument could be made that the, um, ROI Return on, on investment. Yeah. Yeah. On something like, on something like these in particular might, might, might be greater simply because you are, um, going to build a relationship over time with this particular person, uh, probably a casting director, but you know, there are, most of these workshops are a single night. You do one scene, you're there for a few hours or whatever. But some of these intensives or master classes that Hannah's referring to, you actually do spend an entire weekend with somebody or like Trevor said, it lasts over four weeks or something like that. So mm-hmm. you may actually, it may actually support you in building a relationship with that person, which is what we like to use in place of networking. Yeah. And, so, and, and you often do learn, you know, techniques, like you learn cold reading techniques and things like that in these workshops. But if it's taught by a casting director, oftentimes you're learning what they want or what works for them. And there's, you know, there's universal stuff as well, but I think it's just something to keep into consideration. If I'm spending money to take a class from somebody who casts film and TV for a living, that's one version of what works and somebody mm-hmm. else is going to have a completely different version. So just not good or bad, just something to keep in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> like, like we said, do, much do we to be feel discussed. completely useless in this in this in this topic? Oh, I swear it's 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 so tough, and uh, we're going to be talking till we're blue in the face over the next few weeks. And sometimes I just feel not u- useless is the wrong word, but I just feel like um, kind of like I don't know exactly what to do or say. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I, I will end on this on this uh, question with this, that many of the actors I know who are working, not all, but many who are working consistently in film and television uh, do some variation of a casting director workshop regularly. So mm. um, that's all I can say. The evidence uh, for me, from what I experience in the world, is that uh, it's a regular practice among people who regularly work. Does that make it right mm. or wrong? Eh, whatever. 
<laughs> All right. So thank you, Hannah, for the question. Hope that helps. And we'd love to hear from our listeners uh, if you guys have thoughts on this. Of course, lots to come. So uh, next up, a story from a listener named Michael. And uh, do you want to just sort of maybe chunk down the uh, the story here for us, AJ? It's more of a comment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, basically, so uh, Michael was was saying that, you know, he's been first of all, binge listening our episodes and welcome aboard, buddy. Uh, he listened to like 50% of them in like the first, I don't know, couple of weeks of discovering the podcast. But one of the things that he noticed, uh, you know, thematically is us talking about support us in our inner game, the things that are sort of beyond our control, meaning that, you know, we can't control, uh, like my age, for instance, in this audition that I just talked about, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, what our type is or, or, uh, that kind of thing. But w- he said, he, you know, in order to empower his fellow actors, he was thinking about the ways that he can, uh, control They're thinking about the things that he can control. And he started to sort of build the bridge or the link in his mind between, this experience he had working with a really amazing sales guy, and he actually hates sales and laughs at that in his email. This experience he had working with an amazing salesperson who was sort of, uh, I don't know, some kind of mentor to him and acting. And so what he was saying is like, if you, you know, want to make sales, you know, he's like, I know it takes three second three second call appointments to make a sale. That means that five first appointments to make a second uh, call, 10 conversations to make an appointment, 30 outbound calls. So he's basically reverse engineering how to make a sale. And then he converts that to say LA casting. If I submit a hundred roles on LA casting, I get called in for five. And of those five, I maybe get two callbacks. And of those two callbacks, I might get a role. The idea isn't necessarily you know, to be married to the math, but to use the math, math as proof that I need to show up all in caps. I need to show up. I've got to chop wood and carry water. And I need those things day in and day out that are adding to the equation and be getting booked. This is awesome. I, I don't yeah. think that, I don't think you're going to hear an argument from Trevor or, or, or myself <laughs> that, uh, you know, you've got to show up and do the work. Yeah. Um, we are a hundred percent on board with, with that idea. Um, yeah. And anything in in particular, anything specific that you would add to, uh, you know, showing up and and doing the work, Trev? It's a great way of putting what I heard an actor say once in a stage talk back that I attended. You know, you watch these plays or musicals or whatever, and then oftentimes the actors will come out afterwards and take questions from the audience. And uh, I was at one of these and uh, somebody asked one of the actors about his career or journey. And he said, you know what? My job is to audition. That's the work. I just, I just, I get out there every day and I audition, 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 or, you know, take meetings as we like to say Hmm. as much as possible. That's the job. And when you book the job and you actually start rehearsals and shooting or, or performances, that's play that's playing. So the job is, is, uh, is doing this. And I, I love that he equates it to sales because it, you don't want to be married to the math, like he says, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's all about, how often are you getting in front of the people who are looking for your services and are willing to pay you money for it? Or, mm. or the buyers, as Bonnie Gillespie would say. How often are you getting in front of your buyers? And the, be- the more you do it, the more well-known you'll be, uh, the better you'll get at pitching yourself and getting specific about what you can offer. It's just, it's a great way to put it. You can't control who's going to hire you, but you can control how you present yourself and, and how often you get in front of the people who are in a position to do it. 
So I, I love this. Michael, thank you for uh, putting something into really succinct terms that uh, maybe we haven't <laughs> yet on the show. <laughs> so awesome, dude. Thank you very much for that. A uh, quick word from uh, one of our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro, which is the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. And guess what? It's coming in just a few short weeks, easy for me to say. And I know we say this a lot, but I actually have an update from the Rehearsal Pro team right here in front of me. It says they've gone through five weeks of beta testing and 10 versions of the beta build, and it's coming along great, uh, but many of the pieces of feedback they've received have sent them back to the drawing board to update the flow of the new script management process, um, and also there's a community feature. That's all I can say about that. Um, that they have to kind of rebuild from the ground up each time the uh, bug is discovered. So uh, a lot is happening. A lot has been accomplished. Very close to letting us all know about the release date. So just a, a quick update on that app. And <laughs> as you guys so know, excited. it is the app to help you learn your lines, be off book for your auditions and explore your character and make stronger choices and do a whole lot more. You can learn more and actually still back the app and get your uh, your ver- your discounted version at rehearsal.pro slash IAP. So uh, just head over to that website, rehearsal.pro slash IAP right now to check it out. We have a, a really, this should be a pretty quick uh, question from listener named Willow. She's wondering how she could get involved in a theater group. Um, and before listening to the show, she was actually interested in auditioning for the Center Theater Group, which Trevor and I both work for. Um, if you have any tips and best, have any tips on the best way to audition and to prepare, I'd love to hear back. So I, I just want to qualify something really quickly for you, Willow, which is that when we talk about on the podcast, get involved with a theater group. A place like the Center Theater Group is not what we're talking about. Um, while they put on amazing shows and do great work, it's not really a community. And when we talk about joining a theater group, we're talking about joining a community that's going to support you on your with your day-to-day life in Los Angeles, New York, or whatever you know market you happen to be in. The Center Theater Group is a large, uh, technically non-for-profit theater company that uh, runs three different theaters. They do huge productions, and m- most of the actors there are for hire. It's not like a, a, an ensemble of actors that puts on shows um, like a lot of theaters in Los Angeles and New York are. So I, I just want to make sure that there's no confusion there. Um, but as for answering your question, um, if you don't end up getting an appointment for a particular show or a particular role at the Center Theater Group, they do hold um, equity open calls. So uh, Actors' Equity requires that theater companies like this hold um, open calls on a monthly basis, I think. And I think it's the first Monday of the month Mm -hmm. um, when they do this. And so you can actually go in and and audition, just bring in, uh, I think they ask for like a couple of contrasting monologues or something like that. And it's pretty it's pretty well known and accepted that people are not really cast from these. Um, it's a great way to get seen. It's a great way to, um, you know, uh, brush off your monologue or, you know, work on something and feel like you're getting out there and, and, and doing something. And, and Hey, you know, 
it's like we always say, I get to act today. Yeah. It's good but practice. It's, not, yeah. it's great. It's great practice, but it's not necessarily going to yield uh, much in the way of work if you didn't go in with a uh, with an appointment, basically. Mm. Just want to be, you know, completely honest and, and, and open about that. Um, don't know if you want to add anything to that, Trev. Uh, no, I mean, that that's sort of the tragedy of... <laughs> of uh of that world is that yeah that is kind of the way it works and and getting appointments usually come through representation or you know a relationship that you built up over time um so getting involved with center theater group or a company that's that that large is typically the sort of traditional route of you know like i just said building relationships or, or having your reps reach out and get you an appointment but as far as getting involved in a smaller theater group like an ensemble um, God, I can't recommend that enough. That was, that was, was, and, and to a large degree still is our family, our theatrical family, mm-hmm. uh, AJ, you and I like back or here in LA. And I would say uh, there's a lot of ways to do that. There are companies out there that will charge you dues. Um, I'm not a big fan of, of paying uh, a company to be a part of their artistic create creative process. I don't really agree with that, but I get why in some cases that's a model that, that needs to be in place. But uh, for me, I remember very specifically, I, I met, you know, Tom, our friend Tom, who's also the artistic director of the theater ensemble, and I, I really wanted to be involved. I saw a production of Kindred, that they, which was the very first show, I think, that the ensemble did, mm. and I was blown away by it. And I, I, I went up to Tom afterwards and I said, that was some of the best theater I've ever seen I want to work with you guys and I will do whatever you need to do. If you need me to make some phone calls or you need me to go around and find props, like whatever you need me to do, you need me to work the box office. Like I want to be involved basically. And that's what I did for the first uh, few weeks or months, I think. And I think I came to a few of the initial meetings. Um, but I, I, I kind of was like a, a bit of a grunt at the beginning. And I think that's sort of how the, a lot of these theater ensembles work. There, there's a bit of a circus element to it where the performers are often also building the sets and running the box office and pounding the, the tent stakes into the ground, you know, every <laughs> every night and pulling it up at the end of the night. So I, that's a great way to demonstrate uh, work ethic, uh, interest, uh, the ability to work well with others, enthusiasm, things like that, is just show up and say, what needs to be done? And after you build that trust, and that can happen very, very quickly, after you build that trust, then they can start going, oh, you know what? She'd be great for this role. Bring her in and let, or let's just, let's just give her that role. Or, you know, like that's a great way to, to build a community. And before you know it, you've done four or five shows with a great theater company. And those people that cast the shows at Center Theater Group become familiar with your work. And occasionally, and this has happened at Center Theater Group, they've seen work at a showcase or they've seen a play and they've actually reached out to that actor or that actor's representation and said, Hey, we want to bring them in for an appointment because, because good theater actor, this is not, this is a theater town, Los Angeles, but it's not like primarily a theater town. It's primarily film and television. So good theater actors tend to work a lot. They are, they are, they get well known very quickly because it's a smaller circle. Uh, and so, uh, that might be a great sort of, blueprint uh for you willow to to maybe look at uh putting into action way to bring it full circle <laughs> trev that was awesome <laughs> i was like you. yeah we we Thank do you. know what we're doing yeah all right and and you've worked more in professional theater than i have aj so anything you would add to that 
No, uh, not, I mean, that was all fantastic. I, I, I would say, you know, you were talking about not being a fan of, of, of dues paying and, and then you went into like how you pay your dues with sort of sweat equity, if yeah. you will. So, yes. you know, um, uh, that, you know, that was fantastic. I, I, I I've, I've been very lucky and very grateful that I was able to, you know, cut my teeth early on um, 99 seat theater, so to speak, here in in, in L.A. And, and um, you know, I'm not so much focused on it anymore, but, uh, you know, it, I, you, I cannot – there's no replacing the value that that, that time uh, of my life had on, on me, my career, my, my craft – um, so it was, it was huge for me. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Willow, thank you for the question. And as always, if listeners uh, have anything they'd like to add, let us know lots of ways to get in touch with us and get your voice and comments in the podcast. Speaking of comments and voice in the podcast, we have a voicemail from Lauren who wrote in with a response to this situation that Allie wrote in with a while ago. If you guys remember, Allie wrote in and basically said, that this acting teacher called her a bad actor for not wanting to do a, a very emotionally sensitive scene. Um, I think it was like a rape scene. Um, and it brought up a lot, not only for us, but for our listeners as well. We heard from a lot of you guys, uh, especially women, uh, about the sort of uh, lack of sensitivity to gender dynamics uh, in a lot of cases. And yeah, check it out. Just go back to... <laughs> episode and listen to it. It was really good, but we have a a great comment from Lauren, and Lauren left us a nice kind of juicy, nutrient-filled voicemail that we've had the chunk down here for time, but uh, here is the gist of what uh, Lauren wanted to share with us. And what ends up happening is that I think more often than not, especially young actors, especially impressionable actors too, is that we start to believe that this acting teacher has this special key and this special knowledge about what it really takes to be an actor that we don't have and we put up with it. I really believe that never, ever, ever should anybody have think they have the right to tell you that you're not a good actor, that you're a bad actor. That's simply messed up. It is so inhumane. When we take acting classes, we're there to learn. We're there to get better. Yes, we're there to push the limits and our boundaries and and go through them. Another thing I just want to say, and AJ, you said this, and it just totally just, I just want to like, yes, (laughs) is that I really believe that actors have this amazing job to express really deep feelings. And we have a talent, a skill to go into our heart of hearts and pull those out. And also to say what Trevor says, it's, it's, um, you have to ask yourself, what is acting to you? Is acting, you know, this method acting where you got to go to the deepest, darkest crevices of your heart to find something? Or do you, can you imitate it? Can you mimic it? Or is it a little of both? You got to find your thing. But I believe actors have this special skill to really, um, show their emotions And we have to be able to do it in a place where we really feel safe. We just have to. And that's what's so wonderful about acting classes. So it it should be said that Lauren um, had a similar experience. um, And that's part of what we um, 
uh, weren't able to, didn't have time to, to play. But thank you, Lauren, for the commentary. And I also, I also want to say that, you know, she thanked Allie for her bravery, not only in sharing her story, but in, um, leaving the class, leaving the acting class Mm, that she, that she, that she walked out of. So, um, you know, like Trevor said, we definitely got a massive, massive response on, on this. And we kind of knew that it was going to touch, uh, some buttons. And I, I'm really grateful for our listenership in general, you know, uh, reaching out, being involved, supporting one another. Um, and I'm not sure Trevor, if, if you want to add anything to uh, what Lauren said, I think it's, um, uh, it's kind of speaks for itself, but is there anything you wanted to to kind of add to what she said. Yeah, she, she really said it all. And Lauren, thank you so much for your candidness. And, uh, I think the key message here is that, uh, we do very intimate work as creative people. And if ever we feel threatened or unsafe, just to give ourselves permission to let that be enough to leave and find out a more nurturing, supportive environment. And it's different for everybody. Some people are, are going to love challenges like that. And some people frankly need to go there. Some people keep themselves small because they're afraid of the unknown and, and they need an acting teacher to have the uh, awareness and sensitivity to gently prod them to step outside of their comfort zone in their work. But then you've got acting teachers who don't have that uh, sensibility or that sensitivity to it and they just do things like call you a bad actor and just let that be enough to leave and to find out something that is going to better serve you. But I think that the key takeaway is to just know when... Uh, it's something that's serving you versus when it's something that is keeping you um, in a um, protected place. Protected being different than safe, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because we all have our comfort zones and we like to stay in the predictable flow of, of things uh, when where the real growth happens is on the, the edge of that bubble, you know, the edge of that comfort zone bubble. So, it's like I said, it's in for everybody. And I think we all need to find that for ourselves, but, uh, I just love the way Lauren put it. If you feel threatened, threatened, such a great word, let that be enough to say thanks, but no thanks. And Mm. there's always a better, uh, there's always something out there that's going to be the perfect fit. Just got to seek it out. Absolutely. All right. And then, so lastly, we, we have just a few minutes here, but we want to wrap up with this awesome, story from Casey and Casey wrote in to us uh, a while ago but uh, has been diligently listening uh, for a long time and and when he, and when Casey wrote in he was in his 30s and he was uh, going to move to Chicago to pursue an acting career so he did that uh, to move to Chicago in May of 2013 to pursue his career and uh, this is the story about quitting the post office to lay in the mud check this out guys So although uh, he was getting some decent work with student films and independent projects and stuff in Chicago, he found he wasn't getting as far in his career as he wanted. The momentum just wasn't really, you know, kicking in for him. So around October of 2014, he decided that he needed to just stop following the pipe dream, quote unquote, pipe dream, and just hang up his acting hat. He was 35 at that time and felt that the the route that he was going wasn't going to validate him as a man because he didn't have a real job 
And he started to get a little burned out working like five different theater jobs at a time and just barely scraping up enough money to pay rent and eat and do the things it takes to make a life. So at 35, I'm going to be 35 in like two weeks, not even in a week. So I I feel you on this one, Casey, very much. Uh, So anyway, Casey continues. He says he he gave it all up, got a job at the U.S. Postal Service uh, in a Chicago suburb and started to work there in November of 2014. Said it started out just fine, started to get those steady paychecks, that was nice, but something was missing. Uh, The job gave him security, it gave him health insurance, lots of stuff that people like to have, very important things to have, but he wasn't satisfied as like a, a human being. Did he miss the hustle and the scheduling mess that he had to endure each month? No, didn't miss the acting lifestyle very much at all, but he still knew something was missing. He was working about 50 to 55 hour weeks at the post office. Yeah, and he started to look at the people around him and he realized that many of them were just kind of older men and women that were beaten up and broken down by life, just bitter and basically unhappy. And I think when we think of, uh, this is me talking now, Trevor, we think of uh, the disgruntled postal worker uh, you know, those people that are just sort of like, Ugh, this is all there is to life and I just got to get through my days till I get to the weekends. I think we all have seen those people and interacted with those people and know that they're not really people that we want to actively associate with. So I, I get that uh, this was a tough thing for, for Casey to be around. It reminds me of that, that scene with um, uh, J.K. Simmons uh, and George Clooney and up in the air when, when he's like, it, it's been going around Facebook lately. That's why I'm reminded of it where George Clooney, char- George Clooney's character says to JK Simmons, how much do they pay you to give up on your dreams? Mm. And he's like, what are you talking about? And he's like, you went to school for culinary arts. You wanted to be a chef and you gave up on it, you know, because of the sp- steady paycheck. Uh, I don't know. That scene just like was ringing in my head when I read uh, Casey's story, but yeah, continue. <laughs> That's a good question. As your homework, everybody, ask your ask yourself the question: uh, If you're working a day job, how much are they paying you to give up on your dreams? If that day job is in opposition to your dreams, ooh, <laughs> noodle bake. All right. So Casey <laughs> continues. He says he found himself feeling uh, the very same way as these other people around him were feeling. He was 36 years old, and he was working a, a tough job. But what was he getting out of it? 20 years from now, did he still want to be putting some paper in someone's mailbox and, and and they would mostly just end up throwing that away? Like, what was he giving back to the world? What was he giving to himself? And most importantly, he asked himself, who have I become? Oof. Yeah. He said he never wanted to be that worker bee doing everything someone else is just telling him to do, essentially losing his sense of identity in the process. So... In the midst of debating all of this and debating what he wanted to do and fighting that urge to leave a place with so much security and so much good pay and so much steadiness, he went and accepted a napkin job. <laughs> Funny how that works. <laughs> with a guy who uh, who he worked with he who he'd worked with before, and it was uh, a short film that would pay him a you know a little chunk of change. But the best part, but was was that it would be uh, filming out of town in Nebraska at this like secluded lake. He says it was a murder mystery, and he got to be the lead. He was a lead role in this short film. Uh, and so he's in Nebraska. Uh, he's got his shirt off. That's in the email. I love it. Going like animal style. And he's laying in this in this dingy, like, lake and, like, the mud. And he just knew. He had a moment laying there. He just knew 
that that was right, that that was where he should be, that that was what made sense, creating art, being free to do what he wanted to do. So he made another life-changing decision right there. Much like that initial move to Chicago took guts, he went and he quit the post office. He was in Nebraska for a week, and the Saturday he was driving back to Chicago, he called the supervisor to tell him that he'd be back on Monday, but would be signing his resignation papers. And then he did. And at the end of August 2015, he was out. It was done. Post office, goodbye. He hasn't looked back since. And although he's still going through the struggles of acting and creating and probably paying bills and things like that, as many of us do, he's happy. There is no price tag, he says, that you can put on that. He says, and I'm going to quote him here, I am 100% focused on acting and creating. I still work as a freelancer with theater jobs but I'm free to take acting jobs and audition without having to ask permission to take time off to do it. I also just started my own coaching business and holding my first class. We'll be holding my first classes in a few weeks. He also says I'm going to be in Indiana for a month filming a full feature length film uh, while conducting his classes there. What a great way to end this episode where we have some of the we've discussed some of the struggles that have come up for actors and some of the things that that um, uh, stop many of us and some of the things that force us to grow in uncomfortable directions and you've got this amazing story from KC basically saying thanks but no thanks to the path of least resistance and following what his heart is telling him thank you KC for sharing that incredible story and thank you more than that for your example in the world and for having the courage and the balls to follow what you know is true we need more people like you man (laughs) casey matthews who found himself on a lake in nebraska (laughs) in the mud quitting the post office all right uh so we are super tight on time so real quick what is your pick of the week brother my pick of the week is a documentary on Netflix. I know you saw it too. We talked about it before we started recording. It's called Finding Vivian Meyer. It is, wow. Like the, it's probably one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. The ups and downs, the commentary on art, on mental health, on, uh, you know, uh, uh, ownership over art. Like, it, I don't know. It, you have to see it. Finding Vivian Meyer. It's on Netflix. It is incredible especially if you are uh, an artist. Well, hopefully you are if you're listening to this podcast or a photographer in particular, maybe even a videographer. Um, Wow, just uh, an incredible, incredible um, uh, documentary. Go check it out. Yeah, so good. FindingVivianMeyer.com and that link is on our our website because the spelling of Meyer is a little... um, not strange, but it's, it's not my Meyer. Yeah, it's not. It's not AJ Meyer. Um, I remember when they they featured that uh, project on Kickstarter when he was raising funds to finish that film on Kickstarter. And I was so glad to have stumbled across it the other day. We must have watched it on like the same day. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I just watched it. Yeah, that's bizarre. That's bizarre. What is your pick of the week, my friend? So my pick of the week uh, is also a documentary that I found on Netflix, and it features uh, one of our members, longtime listeners and members, Tyler Bryan. The documentary is called Soaked in Bleach. It's about uh, Kurt Cobain's suicide, quote-unquote suicide, and I think this would be, I don't know if you've seen it yet, AJ, but it will be particularly interesting for you, having worked for Courtney Love when she was uh, at the uh, at the theater we work at, um, you kind of acted as her personal assistant for some stuff. And uh, this this documentary doesn't paint the prettiest picture of her. 
uh, and uh, asks a lot of questions about. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah, that asks a lot of questions about uh, Kurt Cobain's death, and uh, really brings up some fascinating things. It's like a crime drama, and it's so, it's very compa- it's it's perfectly done. And then Tyler Bryan shows up in it, and he is Kurt Cobain. And I have to say, Tyler, you nailed it, dude. Like everything from your posture to the way he moved, just these like you know sort of reenactment scenes. But like, I was buying it. I was like, that's that's Kurt. Oh my god. Wow. So congrats, dude. It. Kudos on, on excellent work. Kudos on a, a awesome documentary. Um, and everybody should go check it out because it's just a great film. And then when you see Tyler, just give a little cheer because that's so kick ass. He, he really knocked it out of the park. <laughs> IAP. Yeah. IAP listeners. Woo woo. <laughs> All right. And then real quickly, we've got uh, a listener pick from, uh, I'm sorry, a team pick from uh, our production coordinator, Jen Levin. Do you want to quickly talk about this one? Oh my God. Yes. Thank you for letting me talk about this. Okay. Uh, it's called the DC Eagle cam. I posted about it on social media. It is so awesome. I, I literally have a browser window open with it almost every single day, like just sitting there. And I just go back to it every now and then when I want to like, you know, watch them feed on some, you know, fish carcass or something, but it's basically a live cam in a tree, actually two live cameras in a tree uh, overlooking the nest of two bald eagles in Washington D.C. What's more American than that? Um, <laughs> and they're and they're little hatchlings. They're two little hatchlings. It's it's amazing. It's mm. amazing. So anyway, uh, go check it out. Hopefully they won't eat their young in front of you because that's what happened uh, the yeah. last time they tried this. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And people were up in arms and save the chicks and they're kind of like, yeah, oh, it's like, nature, man. What are you gonna it's do? Nature, it's nature. That's right. Yep. Uh, uh, cool. Anyway, very cool. Go check it out. Thank you, Jen Levin, for that. Yeah, totally. Awesome. Well, damn, a packed episode, dude, and we got a boogie. So that's it. That's all there is for episode 231. Today's episode was produced and co-hosted by me, Trevor Algott, and AJ Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadala Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. And Timothy Patrick Waterman is our director of public relations. Trevor Algott, that's me, edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes. The list goes on and on. And, uh, you know, go ahead and leave us a review, especially on the iTunes, the iTunes, like the Internet, so the Googles. Uh it's, it's like putting a little tip in our tip jar, you know, it helps other people find the show. And I've seen plenty of friends' podcasts go right to the top of the featured section because all of a sudden they got a rush of, uh, you know, <coughs> five-star reviews uh, and, and good reviews. Awesome. All right. Special thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com. And special thanks to you, our listeners. If you are listening to this and you... Or thinking, you know, I love this show and I, I want to maximize its value in my life and career, and I want to make sure it continues. I want to support the continued production of this. Uh, it's easy just to sign up as a member to get cool perks like access to our membership message board, cool freebies like IAP t shirts, uh, you get invites to exclusive member meetups, and more, including the morning ritual, developing a, I'm sorry, creating a successful morning ritual mini course that I'm putting together as we. Uh, probably as you're listening to this uh, we'll be out in the next <laughs> week or two so I'm going to post that exclusively in the membership so just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab to sign up 
<laughs> that is all she wrote. This is episode 231, right? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Time flies. That's it for episode 231 of Inside Acting. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, help us build this community. 